You're listening to Resilience Recast, Episode 1, The Resilient Future, How to Become and Remain Resilient. This podcast series is brought to you by Salesforce, a trusted digital advisor to business in partnership with Reuters Plus. To find out more about how Salesforce helps businesses transition to a digital work-from-anywhere world, visit salesforce.com. Hello and welcome to Resilience Recast. I'm Nisha Pillay. Thank you for joining us. So much has changed in the last year. So many of us have lost loved ones. We've all had to learn new ways of working, new ways of doing daily tasks, from grocery shopping to managing our money. We've all become the masked masses. In the process, though, we've experienced a remarkable acceleration of change aided by technology. It's made it possible for organizations to keep working with relatively minor impacts on business continuity. In this podcast series, we'll be looking at how we pull this off and what we've learned. We'll also be talking about how the pandemic will impact our future. Specifically, we'll be discussing resilience, how and why it matters for businesses around the world, how to become and remain a resilient business. Here to set the scene is Gavin Patterson, President and Chief Revenue Officer of Salesforce. The world has changed over the last year, and certainly it is my view, and I think many people's view that it's not just going to revert back to what it was 12 months ago. So we're, we're entering a new normal and a new pandemic world, if you like. That said, I'm very optimistic about the next 12 months and, and, and longer, in fact. Companies, organizations, businesses are all rethinking their operating models and, and figuring out how they need to operate differently in a world where COVID-19 exists. Uh, and in many ways, COVID-19 has been the accelerator towards uh, digital transformation in all aspects of society. So we all know the digital trend was there anyway. It was happening at a reasonable pace. But what we've seen over the last 12 months is a real step change. So digitalization is really the key to building future resilience. Businesses are coming back stronger. They're building a better world coming out of this crisis a more equitable society, and hopefully one which is going to be more resilient and able to cope with this sort of shock better in the future. Later in the podcast, we'll be talking to Professor Ian Golden, Professor of Globalisation and Development at Oxford University. First, we're joined by Peter Schwartz from Salesforce. Intriguingly, Peter has spent his career gazing into the future and planning scenarios for an abundance of what-ifs. Welcome, Peter. Thank you for joining us on Resilience Recast. Glad to be with you. Thanks for doing this, Nisha. I've got to ask you first, what is a futurist? What's your role at Salesforce? Why does it even need a futurist? If you lived three or 400 years ago, uh, tomorrow was like yesterday was like today. You didn't need a futurist to find your way forward. But in a world where the politics are changing, the economy is changing, technology is changing, social attitudes are changing in complex and new ways, that's when you need a bit of serious thinking about the future. And, and my job is not to try and predict the future. My job is to help people make better choices about the future by trying to see the possibilities today. Oh, you've taken away my next question in that case, because I was going to say, did you see this coming, a pandemic of this kind of severity? Well, as a matter of fact, yes. Uh, and But let me say, I wasn't the only one. Many, many people did scenarios of the future of pandemics. Look, uh, after SARS, 
uh, in the uh, uh, almost 20 years ago, a number of countries, a number of institutions recognized that it was quite plausible to see global pandemics. And they set up the mechanisms to both see and actually deal with them. Countries like Singapore and Taiwan, it's not an accident that they've done very well in the face of that pandemic because they detected it early and they responded quickly because they had in fact anticipated it. But what about the perspective of a business? Did any or many businesses see this coming or were some businesses better prepared than others because of the measures they'd taken? I don't think most uh, companies were uh, prepared for this and and didn't see it coming, hadn't put in place measures. And and that's not a surprise. In general, uh, companies don't prepare for public health crises, right? So uh, that that falls to public health officials. And so they, they rely on those systems to be able to respond quickly. And where that happened, it worked. And where it didn't, it didn't. Scenario planning isn't about saying this is likely to happen, but about trying to isolate several scenarios that might happen, I guess, trying to put some kind of probability to them. And then what do you do? You want to look across a range of scenarios and say, look, uh, how would I adjust my plans depending upon how things are likely to play out? If you put probabilities on it, what happens is people tend to focus only on the apparently high probability scenario. If we'd been sitting here a year and a half ago, nobody's scenario for a pandemic would have been high probability, right? You say, oh, well, that could happen, but that's so low probability, I won't take it seriously, right? Well, it would have been a good idea to take at least raising your sensitivity to its possibility seriously. So I I don't like to put probabilities on it. And I think preparing for different scenarios, you want to commit, you can only really commit to one, but you want to be prepared to adapt to others if you need to, including avoiding any fatal scenarios. Tell me more about how businesses would go about setting up a scenario planning nerve center, if you like. How would they go about it? Uh, Great question. So there there are two really quite fundamental aspects of of it. Number one, any scenario team, the most important quality is diversity. A hundred percent of the time I've been wrong about the future, it's because the team wasn't diverse enough, right? And by diversity, I mean gender and age and race and skills and knowledge and culture and so on. So maximize the diversity in the group and you're most likely to see the surprises. That's number one. Number two, it isn't just about a small group of people talking to another small group of people in the leadership. It is about the company learning how to think scenarically. And so a very important thing to do is as scenario planning begins to roll out is to provide a bit of training to people on how to think scenarically throughout the company. And so, for example, in Salesforce, we communicate all of this internally, and we've got programs to get more and more people thinking about uncertainty and how do you make decisions in the face of uncertainty. So diversity of the team and widespread engagement throughout the company are the real keys to success in scenario planning. Given where we are right now, with different countries and different corporations facing very different trajectories over the next year or so, what do you think should be the top three challenges that businesses need to be aware of right now? If you're a company in Australia, it's one thing. If you're a company in the United States, it's another. If you're in Italy today, it's yet another and so on. Uh, So 
the experience around the world is very different. Uh, and and, you, in, and a big global company has multiple experiences around the world as well. So number one, enormous variety of experience. Number two, this isn't going away quickly. Uh, we are going to have to learn how to live in a world where we go back and forth between the virtual and the physical. There are going to be waves of this pandemic coming yet. So there's likely to be multiple waves and we're gonna find the necessity of being able to move our people, our markets, our evolution back and forth from the physical and the virtual. So we need to plan for that. And third, we need to recognize that we are living in a pandemic world. That is that we, you know, this ain't the last uh, and that we need in place all the mechanisms to detect early and respond fast to future pandemics. It will happen again. We can be sure of it now. But what does that mean for businesses if we're living in a pandemic world? Isn't that a responsibility of governments and healthcare systems? Yes, and. So, yes, it is ab obviously a, response, uh, a, a, a responsibility of governments and healthcare systems. But the truth is all of, uh, companies are responsible to many stakeholders. First of all, their employees, that they have to take care of their health. They have to plan for the health of their employees. So what it means, for example, is that we're going through a really fundamental shift toward the virtual and away from the physical. Many, many, many companies are just simply going to find the fact that a large number of their employees do not wish to come back to the office. They have found they can do much more uh, remotely and they want to live remotely. So that will be a very important change. For us, it's about half of our employees are never gonna come back. But I think that will be fairly typical. Also other experiences, retail, education, healthcare, all of those things will now begin to adapt to a world that is partly virtual and partly physical for quite a long time into the future. And things that might have happened over 10 years are now happening over 10 months, accelerating that move into the virtual environment. So that acceleration that we've seen, the pandemic has sort of been an engine of acceleration and innovation. Yes. Do you think it's important we hold on to that? How do we come to that? Absolutely. Look, it's very interesting. If you think back to various crises, uh, if you look back to the 1970s when we had the oil and inflation and economic crises, that's when Apple and Microsoft were born and the whole new uh, personal computer revolution. Now it's Zoom, it's Slack, it's collaborating in the digital world. We're doing this call on Zoom. We could have done it on uh, Microsoft Teams. We could have done it on Google uh, Meets. Uh, there are four or five different technologies but all of them were invented before the pandemic, right? So now we need these tools ever more. And we're about to see, well, it's already begun, a big wave of innovation in all the tools of remote collaboration. So we've already seen hop in for big meetings, uh, uh, clubhouse for kind of social gathering and hanging out with friends. Uh, so we're going to see a huge wave of innovation of all of these tools to make it better, easier, simpler, and so on. And with your futurist hat on, Peter, what technologies do you see on the horizon that most of us are not familiar with? Well, uh, you know, clearly there will be better versions of what we're doing now, but probably the most extreme and interesting version uh, comes from a company called Dreamscape. And originally it was intended for entertainment. And the idea was you came out of an IMAX theater where you saw Star Wars 12 and you went into this uh, bubble with your friends and you put on a little gear and suddenly you were in the cafe on Tatooine from Star Wars with a whole bunch of characters and your friends and you saw them all. You had a virtual experience in a physical space with other people. 
they have now repurposed this technology for education and for meetings. So imagine, you know, we have at Salesforce an annual meeting of about 150,000 people. Well, that ain't going to happen for a while, right? But imagine if we had a virtual ballroom, right, where literally thousands of people could appear as avatars in that ballroom, uh, see each other, see the speakers, the visuals, and do all kinds of entertaining things together in a kind of shared environment. That's possible now. Just like Zoom wasn't a new technology or Teams, they've all been around a long time, but they've had liftoff during the pandemic, haven't they? So are you saying that the virtual world is now going to get that special twist, which is going to help us to step into it, to embrace it? Uh, uh, Arizona State University is now starting to teach biology in a virtual classroom with students from all over the world appearing, seeing each other. And imagine it, a biology class where you could start at you know, the whole organism and go down to the organs, the cells, go inside the cells, go right down to the level of DNA in this virtual environment with another thousand students in the class with you. Well, you're clearly a fan, Peter. Yeah. As you know, our podcast series is called Resilience Recast. So what do you see as the key takeaways on resilience, the lessons on resilience coming out from this pandemic experience for businesses? Well, look, I think resilience is a very, very important idea. Resilience means the ability to come back quickly from from stress, right? You get hit hard, can you come back quickly? That's really what we mean by resilience. And and what, what are the keys to that? Well, first of all, is realism. Recognize, you know, you, that you really have a problem and solve it, actually. You know, don't, don't be in denial. Second is optimism, right? That sense that actually there's a better day coming and that the, the crisis creates an opportunity to do things better. It isn't that we're going to come out of this crisis worse and have lost a great deal. Our theory of it and part of the secret to resilience is raise the sights. Say we want to come out better than we went in not worse. Uh, So for us, just to be concrete, let's take a concrete example. We used to have offices with great working environments all over the world. We had 85 offices around the planet and people loved coming into them. They were beautiful, entertaining, lovely places. So we want to create a virtual environment that is just as delicious. You know, uh, we are always chosen as one of the best companies to work for. And then one of the reasons is our work environment. We want the virtual environment to be just as appealing, just as, you know, so when you go to work in the morning, it feels like fun. It's interesting. It's engaging. And our aim is to innovate to make that happen. Peter Schwartz, it's been a pleasure having you with us on Resilience Recast. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure as well. It was a delight to be with you. This podcast series is brought to you by Salesforce, a trusted digital advisor to business in partnership with Reuters Plus. To find out more about how Salesforce helps businesses transition to a digital work from anywhere world, visit salesforce.com. I'm joined now by Professor Ian Golden, Professor of Globalization and Development at Oxford University. Professor, thanks so much for joining us on Resilience Recast. It's a great pleasure. You have a new book coming out in May called Rescue from Global Crisis to a Better World. I'd like to ask you this, which came first, the pandemic or the idea for the book? The pandemic uh, drove the book, but I've been predicting a pandemic for a very long time and worrying about it. And the book really brings together uh, thoughts that I've had and written about in previous books about why we have pandemics, why they're inevitable, and how we can stop them, but also uh, what really 
came to me is how this could provide a portal uh, to change the way we are and create a better world. I think going back to business as usual is the scariest thing uh, because it's business as usual that got us to where we are. Let's discuss both those big ideas you floated, how we got here and where we're going, the choices before us. What do you think are the key factors that convinced you that a really serious pandemic was looming, whereas other organizations, say the World Economic Forum, were not so convinced? Absolutely. Why pandemics are increasingly inevitable unless we do something about it uh, is because we are more and more hyper-connected. There are many more of us. Uh, We're living in closer proximity to more and more animals. And uh, the super spreaders of the goods of globalization, like airport hubs, are also the super spreaders of the bads. In 2014, I wrote a book, The Butterfly Defect of Globalization, which is about how interconnected systems can be unstable, uh, drawing on Lorentz, the physicist's observations regarding a butterfly flapping its wings over the Amazon, creating a tornado in Texas. And it's that integration of complex systems that leads to instability. The financial crisis, we saw the super spreading of a financial cascading shock from Wall Street around the world because of the connections of the financial network. We see it in cyber increasingly with the collapse of cyber systems. And it's absolutely inevitable that airports, which spread so much good and which we all uh, get so much from, are also the vectors for very dangerous things, in this case, the spread of viruses. So we need to understand that. We need to understand it's getting worse and worse as we have more and more traffic and more and more connections uh, and more and more risk building. And unless we do something about it, it's inevitable. So um, I said that in 2014 and in every year subsequently, uh, and I still believe it's the case. I hope this is the pandemic to end all pandemics but it will only be if we learn the lessons from it. The last time the world experienced a pandemic on this kind of scale was after the First World War. So is this a one in a hundred years kind of event? Or because of the factors you've just been describing, how interconnected we are and all that, have the risks fundamentally altered now? I think the risks are fundamentally altered. It would be very dangerous to say, well, we've got through this, we won't have another one for a hundred years. That complacency is what got us to where we are. Um, It's that complacency which allows us to not invest as we should. Pandemics are becoming more frequent. We've already seen five or six this century uh, with SARS, uh, with avian influenza and with Ebola, with others. And that is what's happening. They're speeding up. We're just very lucky in a way this time that this is not more deadly uh, and hasn't spread even faster if it had been like the Spanish flu of course that killed about a third of the world's population a hundred years ago so no this is not a hundred years event we'll have another pandemic I would guess in the next decade uh, unless we do something seriously about it and so the real question is how do you really get this wake-up call to happen and my hope is that through the experience we have the wake-up call and now we can use scenarios to say What could the next pandemic be and how would we stop it? What about the role of technology, Professor Golden? Technology has played a huge role in how we've responded to the pandemic, how quickly we've been able to adapt. What role could it play in trying to prevent future crises? 
technology is a very, very significant factor. And of course, we need to accelerate it. We need to accelerate the surveillance capacity. So technology is on the ground to pick up where the pandemics are. We need to accelerate the investment in vaccines and the response of vaccines. And we've seen the role of the public sector in that as being vitally important uh, in standby manufacturing capacity. The big difference between this pandemic and previous ones for many businesses has been the ability to continue because of technology. And we've seen the technology companies soaring in valuation as a result of this. That's all been absolutely essential. And I think we'll continue to see that technology plays a vital role in solutions going forward. Of course, we need to manage these technologies. We need to ensure that we enhance the benefits and then we share them more widely. But technology is absolutely central to the solutions and to our resilience. Our series is called Resilience Recast. Do you think there are lessons from this pandemic on how we can build resilience, not just in organizations, but for the whole global community? Absolutely. Uh, resilience is key. Of course, resilience against what? For what? Uh, we can't be resilient against everything because uh, it takes resources and time and effort and to have standby capacity, to have the capacity to bounce back uh, requires massive resources. So we need to be very strategic with resilience. We need to understand that there needs to be a fundamental underlying framework that allows us to get back to where we are. Building things like vaccine uh, manufacturing capacity would make us more resilient. We've seen the importance of some spare capacity. Resilience is about giving yourself time to respond. It's about ensuring that when you respond, you know where and how to build the resources back and that you mitigate the worst possible impacts. There will always be negative impacts of shocks. What we want to ensure is that we minimize those. It also has very significant implications for incomes. These shocks greatly increase inequality and that's the real impact of this pandemic. We're seeing it within our communities and between countries. And so resilience is also about working out how you can prevent people falling into desperate poverty. Governments have demonstrated this time massively their ability to step in, to stop firms, to stop individuals um, falling into poverty, firms closing, and bankruptcy has actually gone down very strangely uh, during this pandemic. So the role of government as well as the role of private sector is vital and so too individuals, the psychological resilience being a vital part of that. And do you have specific pointers for business and other organizations, what they should prioritize in terms of this agenda of yours, investing in resilience? They can't do everything after all, as you said earlier. I think the, the key question is where do the risks come from and what will you do about it uh, when they occur? One of the things that's been so highlighted by the pandemic, but also by other shocks, is that we excessively concentrate information, power, uh, assets in a single individual or a single place, headquarter buildings, single individuals. And so when something happens to that individual or to that place, a whole system uh, is corrupted, is falls apart as a result. So I think empowering people with more decision-making capacity, ensuring the subsidiarity principle applies, that things are decided at the lowest level possible, giving people a sense of 
purpose, of skill, of meaning, which is just not driven top down, but is organic within an organization, those things make organizations more resilient. It's also the case that we need to be able to protect more against future shocks. It's very difficult for any firm to protect themselves against a global economic crisis or pandemic. But by diversifying in different assets, in different places, uh, different types of people and diversity in teams is part of that resilience because you get different perspectives and by diversifying in places and products, you get different opportunities at different times of the economic cycle and that helps build resilience too. Finally, I wanted to ask you, your book is dedicated to all those who suffered from the pandemic. May it lead to a better world? So what would be top of your wish list? What do you think most urgently needs to change as a result of what we've all suffered? I think what's most urgent is that we move from an individualism uh, dominating our decisions and society uh, towards a more collective understanding of our needs uh, from I to we, from me to us. And that in that process, uh, we recognize that the pandemic has taught us to really appreciate the values which underpin all of us as individuals, what we hold precious, what we hold dear in our own lives, in our communities, the things that we've missed so much often, the loved ones, the ability to socialize. And that translates into greater social solidarity. Uh, it translates in businesses to a focus on um, a broader set of stakeholders, that we overcome the terrible inequalities. We've seen this widening gulf within our societies that can be addressed. And most of all, I hope it leads us uh, to appreciate that these crises are locked in to globalization, that globalization has been the best thing that's happened to humanity, the flows across national borders. It's the flows that are saving us with the vaccines, with the genomics of the pandemic, with our ability to communicate on the Zoom and in other forms. It's that which has made broad progress, but it's also that which spells danger unless we are able to manage it. We can, now we must. And so my wish is that this is the pandemic to end all pandemics. And by doing so, it teaches us to cooperate. So we also address climate change and the other great threats that we face. Wise words, Professor. Thank you so much for joining us on Resilience Recast. Thank you. As we've heard in this episode of Resilience Recast, the pandemic has unlocked new reserves of resilience in many different spheres. One key takeaway is that businesses have learned to innovate quickly, and that's a big benefit for the future of work. Thanks for listening to Resilience Recast. In the rest of the series, we'll continue our conversations with business leaders and other experts who have frontline experience in building and maintaining resilience for their organizations. Please join us again. From me, Nisha Pillay, goodbye for now. This podcast series is brought to you by Salesforce, a trusted digital advisor to business in partnership with Reuters Plus. To find out more about how Salesforce helps businesses transition to a digital, work-from-anywhere world, visit salesforce.com.